Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. Now I'm here with Emily Maguire of Flourish and Grit. Even the name itself is so cool. I'm loving that already. Somebody with a mastery of the English language. This is all about email marketing, a very old school and yet very underused form of marketing. And, and I think something I'm always passionate to talk about. So Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you. And by the way, for anyone who's missing the video, you really should check out the video version of this. You've got the most stylish, incredible <laughs> background ever. You're rocking the Hornman glasses. You've got um, Jeff Goldblum on a and a cushion behind you. I can't even describe that wall. It's like black cats and on a white background. Oh, yeah. It's just a curtain. Oh, wow. I yeah, like it though. I know, right? You go for strong style choices. I really, really like it. No, no sitting on the fence. <laughs> right. so, uh, whereas my hairdo, if you're watching the video, if you're listening on, on audio, they say some people have a face for television. Uh, so mm. they have a, a face for radio. I've got the hair for radio today because my hair is kind of going crazy. It's locked down. So I'm going to own it. As you say, let's do yes. that thing. So mm-hmm. let's get into the boring old nitty gritty because that's not boring. I think if it's going to make us money. Let's talk about this episode's all titled if you like why you should ditch your email newsletter so let's start with that radical statement why should we ditch our email newsletters yeah i mean this is if you talk to any email marketer uh, if you start referring to emails email marketing as newsletters it's just like nails on a chalkboard because <laughs> it's it's it comes from the d- days of direct mail right where people were actually mailing out physical paper newsletters. And when email marketing came around, people were just like, oh, it's the same thing as direct mail, right? And so they started sending out newsletters, which are jam packed with links and articles and all of the things. And in the digital world, our attention spans are not the same they were when people sat down and read a physical piece of paper. So jamming a bunch of content in an email does not help your subscriber or reader focus on what it is you want them to focus. And it typically overemphasizes content instead of guides people to the next step with your brand. And that's what a successful email marketing program does is it guides people to the next step with your brand, uh, whether that's purchasing a product or viewing or browsing products. That's that's how you get conversions and you do it in a helpful way. That's not sleazy or slimy or just buy, 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 you know. So that's my pet peeve with newsletters. They're really time consuming and they're not super helpful to, for either parties. Not to say that content isn't great, because it is. It just needs to be executed well. Interesting. I mean, <laughs> I've gone through ways of this stuff. I've gone the usual thing, I guess, that the sort of email error 101 is not contacting people enough. I'm guessing that the people we're speaking to, the people who've got around to contacting people proudly each week with a probably overly... Um, 
processed, what's the word, overly designed newsletter that actually is even more confusing and probably just gets filtered out by spam filters or doesn't work in some people's browsers. So yeah, and, and I've got to that point. So uh, this feels very, very scary. So if you are going to ditch my newsletter and I feel, oh my goodness, how am I going to keep my visibility with my subscribers? What should we do instead? I mean, think of them as campaigns, right? It's really just a mindset shift, right? Okay. Instead of just overloading people with content, how are you exciting them and engaging them while plugging your products? right? Because the inbox is crowded. Like most digital spaces, people are overloaded. So you need it, you need your content to uh, be able to grab people and drag or not drag them, but pull them in to your products with curiosity instead of like, oh, great, here's one more email where somebody wants me to buy or read stuff, you know? So it's a campaign. It is strategic it is focused on a goal and it's helpful to your subscribers. Great. That's nice and clear. Strategic focus on a goal, helpful to subscribers. Now, I should say at this point that obviously that the focus of this podcast is very much for Amazon sellers or people on e-commerce who sell on Amazon as well as desperately, probably if they're like any of these serious Amazon sellers, I know creating as many off Amazon assets as possible. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about how email marketing really matters for Amazon sellers. And then we'll try and sort of pull those two threads together of ditching the email newsletter and or, or just the, as you say, and un, sadly, I'm an exact example of newsletter or massive pitch <laughs> but tell us first of all how, how does this tie into the e-commerce world because a lot of people perceive what you're saying as, as being very applicable to the sort of coaching guru type market but won't really have made the connection to physical products yet I think yeah so I mean my background is in e-commerce and that's where I cut my teeth on email and from my experience, you know, getting an email list is obviously valuable, but getting an email list of buyers is a gold mine, right? So if you, you know, you are relying on the traffic of Amazon, right, to get your products in front of people. But once you get that buyer and you can get their email address, you now have the ability to get them to keep purchasing and as I said before, like it is much easier to get a second order from a customer than it is to get that first order. And it doesn't take as much nudging. It doesn't take as much nurturing and it doesn't take like big sales, right? That buyer list is you've already proven your value to those people and now you own their contact information. So following up with them in, in a really strategic way is going to yield results much more profitable than your first time purchasers. Great. So I guess you brought up really the differentiation between getting prospect lists and customer lists which is as soon as i say it, it's, it's obvious but I, I know that i don't differentiate with them in amazing fba and a lot of people don't differentiate in their email marketing for e-commerce either so how do we let, let's separate those out then first of all let's assume that if you're an, an amazon seller you're getting a lot of proven customers via the amazon system because it's great at delivering sales profits are more mm -hmm. challenging there and back-end sales are often where the profit is made in a sophisticated business right so mm -hmm. how do amazon sellers specifically um, deal with the situation because obviously Amazon keeps its cards close to its chest in terms of sharing customer data. Do you have any direct experience of working with Amazon sellers with email marketing? 
So I don't have direct experience with Amazon sellers, but I do talk to people often who do not have access to an email list of potential customers, right? Or they got in front of them in some way, but they don't actually own that list. So then your job becomes, how do you get them on your list? And that is by offering some sort of incentive to sign up. So I know Amazon lets people send review emails and and confirmation emails, sort of transactional emails like that. So is there a way that you can offer incentive, like a piece of content or a coupon or something to get them to uh, purchase again and through your your system, right? And then get them on your list. So it's always in, in offering incentive in exchange for an email address. Yeah. And we got to get, I guess we got to believe in the value of an email first before we, we start offering that. But the, yeah, I would just say just a couple of words of warning specific to Amazon, which is another reason why you should be developing a lot of your business off Amazon, even if you want to sell on Amazon. Let me just give a couple of things just in case people are listening and they don't want to go off and do something wacky. First of all, mm-hmm. Amazon is getting very, very, very controlled on what you can say and through its actual system. So even mm-hmm. transactional emails confirming purchases no longer allowed. Pretty much nothing's allowed except one email asking for a review. But what I would say is your, your strategic approach isn't wrong. One just has to be very, very cautious on Amazon. So you can hide stuff in the packaging that, that technically they shouldn't be opening to give incentives. What I would also say to any Amazon sellers listening, and then we'll get back to your expertise, is it's because of the value of emails. And hopefully this episode will sell you even more on that than than even before you're listening to the episode, then it's really important to simply make an effort before they get into Amazon's orbit where you no longer control it and you're in danger you're endangering your Amazon account if you try to own the customer these days, that before they get on Amazon, you try and capture that email uh, address. And then after they bought on Amazon, you can download and tell Amazon this, but everyone does it. You can download the customer's details and you could use the thing called email append service. Is that something that some of your customers have used in, in different platforms? So there is always the upsell in the packaging, right? Mm-hmm. In e-commerce in general. Yeah. And getting permission to email people is always tricky, right? And so it's always a good idea to get like that explicit permission, especially, you know, in the EU uh, with GDPR. So a purchase is not necessarily permission to Mm -hmm. remarket to people. And so that's why it's important to sort of do these campaigns where you are, again, offering incentive with the explicit knowledge that that incentive is tied to something promotional like email marketing right yeah i guess what we're talking about and you make a very good point about gdpr which is one of the ironies of of gdpr legislation when it kicked in and and it applies in the uk even though the uk has famously now left the eu but we still kept all the legislation for now anyway and the irony was that everyone was emailing me every five seconds saying we want your permission to email you and of course they didn't have my permission to email me about gdpr so technically they were already breaking the rules ironically (laughs) (laughs) so but i take your point and i guess permission marketing i guess the phrase coined by is it seth godin amongst other people anyway that is such a critical thing it's not just about the law i would argue it's about good marketing anyway so mm-hmm. let's talk about list. we're kind of um circling into the idea of list growth strategies anyway but i guess let's talk about list growth strategies let's start start from the point of view of an amazon seller who on the one hand probably has almost certainly some kind of website maybe a very simple wordpress affair may or may not be okay with facebook ads and other means of generating traffic 
but doesn't actually mostly focus on the sales through their channel. How would you approach, if I came to you with that situation, which is very typical, how would you approach list growth as an email list growth? So, I mean, it's looking at what you already have on your site. So if you are driving, I mean, the key here is driving traffic, right, to anywhere where there is an opt-in offer. So, and an opt-in offer can be anything like, Um, a coupon code, a discount, or an introductory offer to a piece of content that is very tantalizing and helps solve your customer's pain points and leads them to a purchase. So you have to have some sort of package first, some sort of offer uh, in exchange for an email address because our, our data is valuable as, you know, legislation has shown us, right? And you can't just expect somebody to say, oh, here's my email address. I would love for you to have my email address. I'm just going to walk up to your website and just find a form and punch it in, right? (laughs) So you have to direct people and offer that incentive. And it requires, again, driving traffic to your site through ads, SEO, whatever makes sense for your budget and your business. So, So those two pieces are the foundation And then from there, you can start tweaking and refining, which is, you know, having a pop-up on your site that isn't annoying, but helpful, right? It's, It's possible. And then having forms everywhere on your website for people to sign up. So it's always in their face and promoting whatever sign up offer you have through whatever other channels you you utilize any sort of um, outbound marketing tactics like social media or even like having ads that go specifically to your email sign up that is super valuable because we know that website traffic on average has a 50% bounce rate uh, so half of that traffic is coming to your site and immediately immediately leaving so if you can grab that email address before they leave you've got a way to follow up that you didn't have before. Yeah, that's lots of great things in there. I guess the first thing is you've got to drive traffic and that is, you know, to be fair to you as an email marketer, not your problem in a way. People have got to get the traffic and that is a problem. But I would suggest that SEO is... It's very like email, the most old school things, the word SEO and email. It takes time, but it's it's one of the most underused things. I mean, everyone can and should probably create some content if they're going to create the feeling of a real brand of some kind of uh, blog posts. And if you are mindful about it and target the right kind of keywords, then over time, you should be able to build some kind of organic traffic. And then, as you say, the value is in the list is what they say. I guess that probably the tweak to that I've heard is the values in the relationship to the list, which I know we're going to talk about in more detail. But just to come back to the thing of website and an email list, I'm very, very consciously looking for a business to buy now, only for a few thousand bucks probably. And I'm not interested in their website. I'm not even necessarily interested in any of the other assets, including how much revenue they make. If it's if it's a really small business worth a few thousand, it's probably not going to be very exciting or, or their profit. I want their email list. And I'm 100% mm-hmm. clear about that because I don't think that the biggest asset in anything that I've ever owned or been in part of has, is normally the website. I mean, a great website is a great asset. Most of us, including myself, don't necessarily have fantastic websites in terms of you know, doing the jobs they're supposed to do, engage people, generate SEO. I'm horrible at SEO. I'm very focused on podcasts. I create horrible blog posts, something to change. But I do know that the numbers tell me that my my tiny email list of just over a thousand people has been responsible for like, it's about nine, $10, maybe $15 earnings per subscriber. So that's the asset I value. So I think you made a very important point. And it's not just about the, the ability to follow up. It's like, 
if you can only speak to somebody for 25 seconds on your website and you can follow up with 100 emails over the course of 10 years with the emails, how much more powerful is it? I, I mean, for me, that's like a no-brainer. So I just wanted to put that out there because I think people get caught up in websites because they look nice, but it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. <laughs> it doesn't make <Right>? you money. <laughs> mm -hmm. Tell me a bit more about website. We, I suppose I'm implying website design. Tell me about the design and, and sort of structure and use of a website to capture email, if that's our priority. Yeah. So if you're making email a priority, it needs to be everywhere on your website, most particularly on your homepage and not just in your footer, right? I mean, bare minimum, it should be in your footer of your, your website. But I often see people stop there. And you need a featured section on your homepage uh, that lists your opt-in offer or at the minimum, what they're going to miss out if they don't, what they're going to miss out on if they don't sign up right now. And a pop-up, like I said, that can increase your signups by 30%. So, and again, it doesn't have to be annoying. It doesn't have to show up immediately when they hit your site. There are pop-up tools that let you customize the behavior. So, you know, you can wait a certain amount of time. A, you can wait a certain amount of scroll, a certain amount of clicks. And that finding that sweet spot on what's going to get them the best signups for you it takes testing and tweaking but it's it can be done and super helpful and then you know through that checkout process as well on your cart page if people abandon their cart you know those abandoned cart campaigns are there's so much money in abandoned cart campaigns but and then in the checkout process having the explicit permission to email somebody after they sign up you need that checkbox again that's GDPR compliant. And in the US, you know, certain states are adopting similar measures. So I think that that practice is only going to grow. So those are the, again, the minimum places, but the most impactful. Excellent. That's really, really good. And I like the fact that you're saying, look, in the end, the only way you're going to know what sort of blend of time and is it only exit intent pop? Is it after like immediately turn up? Is it after 20 seconds? You're going to have to judge that. And I guess for me, I've, I see there's a certain relationship when I bother to look at my stats, which are pretty awful in terms of bounce rate between the amount of pop-ups you get and therefore the sign-up percentage versus right. the bounce rate. Because if all you do is pop up at people, they probably won't revisit your site. So I guess mm -hmm. you've got to just weigh those things up, right? And as I said, for me, I don't really care if my bounce rate's horrible as long as I'm getting a good conversion rate to email because I trust email way more than mm -hmm. ability with, with sites. Because in the end, what I think is great about email and people constantly miss out on is it's one-dimensional, not in the sense that it's not sophisticated art form like anything else, but it's words and that is it. Whereas a website involves words, images, design functionality speed of loading you know it's a complicated thing to get right whereas email is not easy to get right but at least you can hone your craft within a much more defined area i think so we've talked about the offer thing tell me a bit more about creating a great offer because i know you've got a, a really nice phrase about that as well yeah i mean creating an offer i like to call them you know honey lead magnets you know that something that's really sweet and sticky and so <laughs> It has to be something that's going to attract people and it has to be something that's going to stick with them, right? That they are going to find value from. 
So obviously you want to get that email address. You want to uh, offer something that's really going to speak to your target audience. Some people like to do quizzes, you know, find your perfect match kind of thing, especially in the product world. Discounts are always valuable, but be careful with those because you don't want to set the precedent too high. And then you've created yourself a slippery slope of only being somebody who offers discounts, right? So discounts are great. Free shipping, that's always great too. But, you know, Amazon world, (laughs) I don't know how enticing that is anymore. But uh, yeah, discount, free shipping, some other sort of free bonus, uh, free gift of some kind. But again, you have to weigh what's what is going to be most profitable for you and what is going to resonate with your audience the most and how are you setting up that relationship. So those big discounts, again, can be a really uh, slippery slope because that's what you're setting people up to expect from you. Absolutely. And I, and I have to say that the the sort of default position of most Amazon sellers is if they do anything, they just chuck a massive discount at it because that's what they've been incentivized and, and trained to do by Amazon. And I still have that that tendency myself, I confess. But also, I think that if, if you really use your imagination and you start creating wonderful content and stop just thinking about physical product creation, but creating digital products, if you will, even if it's just a just a way, quotes unquote, to get them on your email list, I think it requires a bit of a creativity that that we should be able to have. I mean, creating a you know three dimensional functional product is so hard, and we constantly. I'm amazed by Amazon sellers who go through that incredibly difficult process and succeed and create wonderful products, and then just kind of half-ass their content creation, which I mm-hmm. think is just like ten times easier. Maybe it's because I'm just normal, more more into the process of that with the podcast. So, what are your hints to people who are struggling to create imaginative, interesting offers for audiences because they're mostly focused on physical products? I get it, right? Creating your offer itself, your product that you are trying to sell, is exhausting. And then you have to figure out how to market it next, which is a whole other beast that you have to tackle. And like, yeah, and and most people are just like, one more thing, I have to do one more thing. (laughs) Please, please no. (laughs) So, you know, start somewhere, right? If you're just starting out with anything, I tell people, you know, something is better than nothing. Just try. (laughs) And then once you get it out there, because that's the hardest part is just getting it out there, then tweak and refine, right? So, you know, obviously, like we said, you know, a discount is, you know, pretty, a pretty easy thing to implement, but don't make it too high. And then once you, then you can start like looking into the data around that. How has that worked for you? Who are the type of people it's attracted? And if you want some more high ticket, high value customers, then you start getting into content. And that means researching your audience. You know, what are their pain points? What are their aspirations? What are they trying to solve with your product? And can you create something really enticing around that that's going to what a lot of copywriters call a painkiller for them? So again, like an assessment, people love quizzes. They love to think about, you know, who, do you know who I am? And can you figure out who I am? So personality tests that tie to a particular offering. So X personality, you will love this, right? People love that kind of stuff. So quizzes are always great. And anything that's sort of actionable. So a guide, 
spinning the wheel to see what your offer is. People love interaction. So there are a lot of resources out there for that. And often they're tools, right? They're additional plugins. And so if you start going looking for those tools, even if you don't buy them, they'll give you really great ideas. Amazing. Now, this is all fantastic stuff. And by the way, as soon as you said the personality types thing, I mean, this absolute uh, catnip, isn't it? And people buy magazines, even now in the age of the internet, they still physically buy a magazine that has a personality quiz or 14 ways to sort out your relationship. And it's some random person on the net who's probably probably living on their own and never had a relationship in their life and spends a life writing content for blogs it doesn't matter people read it and they'll believe it it's a bit like the whole thing of you know it must be true it's on the telly it's amazing how much power it has <laughs> so you're mm-hmm. so right i can't i'm embarrassed now to say that i've never done that <laughs> as soon as as soon as i i've got to make time this year to create a personality type quiz this year because i just yeah. know from experience everybody loves them it's so yeah. true that's why horoscopes yeah. sell so well, right? My wife was chuckling over a, a sort of pastiche, you know, ridiculous version of a horoscope the other day, but she read the whole thing out to me. I'm like, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah, it's entertaining, right? And that's, yeah. I mean, that's a campaign I actually started doing for an e-commerce custom, customer of mine this year because she sells, you know, gifts. Hmm. That's her thing celebrations and yeah. when you feel like there's not a lot to celebrate right now or you don't know how to celebrate things we started doing campaigns around birthdays so your horoscope is coming up do you know a libra in your life here are all the types of things a libra would love and what we started hearing back from people were like this is amazing to help me get gift ideas and the people who had that sign they were like oh i just wanted to see if you got me right and if I would love that gift. And like those are super successful for us. That's incredibly smart. I, I mean, it's one of those things where as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, this is obvious. And yet I've never <laughs> thought of it, which is always a good sign of good wisdom. Like, this is fantastic. I really like that. So, to be honest, what I'm getting from it as well is a sense of fun. And that's what I really like about your branding and your the way you come across as well. I think it's so, so important that if everybody's being boring, that you have a bit of personality about you. Either that, or it seems to be going, well, I, I tend to fall in the same track as everybody else, which is like boring, boring, as you said, massive newsletter with way too many options that I'm never going to use. I mean, people send me newsletters and I just never click on them because I'm overwhelmed. Uh-huh. But I read emails all the time from marketers. I just read ones that are really intriguing and interesting but the other thing that i'm getting which i think is really important is you've got to enjoy your business life a lot of miserable amazon sellers out there and this feels very creative and fun and especially as you said if, if the world outside is miserable there's other sort of grim politics in both our countries or, or grim death by covid in both countries right now then really we need something to uplift us and my, my wife for example sort of consciously tweaked her facebook feed so she gets more ancient italian art which is her particular thing and just lots and lots of comic ridiculous stuff cats falling off tables people taking the mick out of politicians you know you name it so this is really fab i mean i think it sort of it chimes in with what's actually what people want uh, it's not old school it's it's got then the new old school right mm-hmm. so the one thing i want to talk about now is, is you've already implied that we've got a you know, look into what our customers want. And it kind of sounds like an obvious easy thing, but it's one of those things that hangs up a lot of people, particularly if you're used to Amazon where you produce the widgets and you put them into an Amazon warehouse and then you never interact with the customer at all and you get very little data. So we get used to being very kind of autistic (laughs) in our relationship to our customers. So how do we remake that connection? How do we figure out what our customers actually want to create, as you call it, the painkiller content? Yeah, so I like to recommend that people you know, go find their ideal customer on social media. So that can be Facebook groups, 
with people who are who could really benefit from your product, go hang out in a Facebook group and see what people are talking about. It's a gold mine. I keep saying gold mine. Gold mine. <laughs> LinkedIn, you know, if your audience is there, you know, what wherever your ideal customer hangs out who could really use your product, go find where they hang out online and just stalk them. <laughs> You know, go see what they're talking about and you'll get a really good idea very quickly. So yeah, Reddit, Facebook, LinkedIn, Quora, that giant database of answers. You know, honestly, it's a very similar process to SEO research. You know, what are people asking about? What do they want to know about? What are they struggling with? And you'll start to get ideas immediately. That's very, very good. I mean, yeah, it's nice, simple advice. And what's interesting is that I give that advice to everybody who's beginning to think about creating a private label product to say, look, if you create something that nobody wants, uh, and <laughs> even if it's beautifully made, they still won't want to trust me. I've worked with those clients. I'm like, this is sad. I can see this is a well-designed product, but it solves a problem that nobody has. So instead right. of that, go and see, you know, you're considering creating this kind of product related to these keywords. Go hang out on Facebook, exactly the same. Facebook groups are so useful. And, mm-hmm. and just go and see what stuff that people have a problem with that isn't being well solved. Now, this isn't about physical widgets, but it's the same, I think a similar skill set you're basically saying okay so what do i need to talk about what what quizzes would resonate that sort of stuff right so that's Mm -hmm. it's funny how similar that is to skills that people probably already use but hadn't thought about applying to their email marketing at least not based on the emails that i get they haven't (laughs) (laughs) so how do we once we figure that out a bit more what's the next step then okay we've we've hung out on facebook so what do we need to figure out on concrete terms okay i hang out on facebook and i see that people have um trouble finding interesting gifts for their husbands because they've been married for 20 years and it's all boring same old same old they keep giving them socks what do i do with that information to turn that into a marketing campaign so i mean that can be used for i mean and obviously it's everything right like you can use that content for everything you're doing a blog post a lead magnet right like you could have a lead magnet that's something along the lines of you know 10 ideas for date night or five ideas for date night or take this quiz to find out what your next date night should be so those can be ways to collect email addresses it's blog content right like plain and simple and, and then obviously having an email signup form on your blog, you can also content lock half the blog, right? Where somebody has to submit their email address to get the rest of it. Social campaigns, whatever it is you're doing, it can apply to every channel you're working with to keep drawing your ideal customers in. And then once you get them, then you have a, an infinite number of email campaigns, right? I mean, That's the other part about email that people don't understand is just because you have a lead magnet or an offer or a blog about something doesn't mean you can't write or talk about that again, right? You can parse that information up and you have a follow-up sequence to go with it, right? So it's additional touch points, messaging, content up the wazoo. Well, this sounds really, really exciting and and very doable. I mean, I guess it's normal when you talk to an expert. So we're going to talk in more detail in the next episode about the whole sort of structure of email sequences, autoresponders versus broadcast, that stuff. But just in simple terms, I still don't quite feel like I, and this, I'm not the only one, I think, that how do we get from an insight about what people want on a Facebook group into, say, creating an email sequence? Give me an example of, of, of that kind of transition from some kind of insight into creating something relevant. Right. So you have that, you know, you have that really sweet 
and sticky piece of content, right? Or offer that's, you know, a discount content, whatever it is that you get people in. And then just because they sign up doesn't mean that they're immediately ready to purchase, right? They might still be checking you out or, you know, evaluating competitors. And that means you want to keep touching, uh, you want to keep following up with them in the inbox, right? You don't want to just say, okay, hey, thanks for signing up. Good luck finding whatever it is you're looking for. You got to keep following up with them. And that means continuing to speak to those pain points, continuing talking to them like you really know them through follow-up emails, always guiding them to, okay, if, if this really resonates with you, here's the product that goes with that. Here's the offer that goes with that until they purchase, right? Or they don't. And then you just keep nurturing them with more offers, more content, whatever that is. So you're basically infusing all of your content with what you know about your audience and what you know resonates with them. So that could be structuring a sale around that messaging or the the products you're pushing out in email. So, so yeah, an email sequence is you sign up, there's a trigger, right? And then you send an email every so many days to really warm that new subscriber up uh, until, and then you remove them from that sequence as soon as they purchase. And if they don't, again, then they're just on your general email list and you keep nurturing them. It's interesting what you're talking about. You, you're removing them from sequence. So in other words, you're, you are recognizing when somebody's joined your list as a prospect, you take them through a process of offers that are relevant to them, but they are still offers. They're just not mm-hmm. kind of blaming the same thing to everyone. And mm-hmm. then what you're saying is that they're either going to make a buy a, the product, in which case you remove them from the sequence, which is such a simple thing to say. And yet it's <laughs> we end up not doing it. And then yeah. you're offering the same thing to somebody who's already bought. And um, we've all had that. I, I've had that so many times. I've written back to them and said, look, I've already bought this. You don't need to sell me on this. <laughs> Please right. stop emailing yeah. me several times <laughs> last month. Uh, yeah. So it's a very good point. Now, th- one of the thing that I'd like to wrap up this episode with is is that you mentioned the phrase customer journey to me now that's often banded around by marketers in terms of what we've said today I I guess that feels to me like that's the thing that sort of pulls together some of the stuff we've been talking about so can you tell us quickly in simplest terms because I know it's a complex thing sometimes how you would map that out for a customer type Yeah. So uh, people also think about this, you know, as funnels, right? But I like customer journey because it really signifies the relationship and where you are in that stage of a relationship with your subscriber. And which, you know, when you start to think about it, it makes sense because all marketing, like you sort of implied, is about building relationships, right? People go from not knowing who you are or what you sell to becoming your biggest fans. How do you do that? And that's the customer journey. And so it acknowledges when somebody has no information about you, right? An email, they come to you and they sign up for an email. And often people assume like, well, they signed up for our email, so they know who we are. It's like, no, you have a captive audience. You need to uh, quickly establish that relationship. And that means, again, those email sequences, putting out information that makes sure that your subscribers know exact that they know you know them, right? And so you're creating really positive feelings like you were also talking about, you know, having really enjoyable stuff in your feed, being having fun. People purchase through emotion, right? We make decisions by 
whatever we're emoting. And so feeling understood and feeling positively about a brand is going to keep them in line. So anyway, so back, I'm back and backpedaling to what we were originally talking about because I just went off on a tangent. We were talking about the customer journey, but I just want a, a quick follow-up question, which is mm-hmm. something which I think is, and it's all the same sort of stuff. You were talking about making sure people know you know them, which is a really yeah. subtle thing psychologically. So how do we go about that in the best way? I mean, so that's empathy, right? And that's what we were talking about is researching them, right? And using their language, using, talking about their pain points, acknowledging that they are real people and not just a transaction, (laughs) right? Talking uh, like a human to another human, I think is powerful. And because we can all sniff out inauthenticity, right? We can sniff out when somebody just wants our money because we're inundated with digital marketing all day, every day. And so people are much more savvy consumers than they used to be. Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You look at it, it's so funny because obviously the Americans are kind of inventive of many things in the modern world, including modern advertising. And you go back to those 50s adverts and it's just hilariously blunt. It's like, buy this toothpaste for white teeth and make sure your man doesn't leave you for another woman. And that kind of crazy stuff you think, can yeah. you even say that? And the answer is, yeah. well, absolutely yeah. not now, but you could in right. the 50s. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Some Here's one little hint I would say that I, I fall into the trap of, constructing an email I write an email in such a way that it's over polished and then I look at the emails that I dash off to the same people and I try and ask them to reply to me in an email Mm -hmm. sequence which I think is one of the you know vaguely smarter things I sometimes do and when I reply (laughs) to them I look at the sort of language and the way I write and I don't even capitalize or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's a completely different language and Mm -hmm. it it strikes me every so often I look at my own writing and I'm like the more I write emails now I try to write marketing emails just like I'm dashing one off I don't have much time but I like the person so in other words one of my favorite clients I've been like I'm so sorry about that I'll sort that out later that's great so I literally did one just before I leapt on this call and it struck me that's how I actually interact with people right so it's that Mm -hmm. that weird language that we fall into when we're trying to sell Mm -hmm. stuff it's a bit like if you go to a conference, the guy with the tie and smiling all the time and the guys without the tie, somebody was talking about a business conference, you know who's going to sell to you and who's the selly mm-hmm. based on just one or two signals. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess there's a lot to talk about there. But let's let's <laughs> we could go two ways with this. I, I completely derailed you from when you were coming back <laughs> to the podcast. But you, you, or you can talk to that point because I think h- how do we get the, the style and language and things natural sounding, human to human as opposed to the marketer to human? I think we often sacrifice personality for polish, like you just said. And I think it's, and sometimes we just overthink it. And we have this idea of what professionalism is. You know, I'm using air quotes. Nobody can see that on a podcast. Um, (laughs) But I think when we think about professionalism, we think about just like being a bland, blank brand right like and once you ins- once you uh, throw in some some personality once you start thinking about okay well if i'm having a conversation with somebody how would i talk about this right you get a personality and it's really astonishing how simple that is and how refreshing it is for people like it immediately stands out from being here's another place that just wants me to give them my money to, oh, this is an actual human, right? Because we often feel very disconnected from relationships through a screen. And so having that sort of connection, again, it's just, it's a positive feeling. It's like, oh, they're a real human being, just like me. 
and it builds trust immediately. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to say my favourite marketers are definitely people who have a, a very distinctive personality, distinctive accent. They say stupid things. They say, you know, things that make me snigger, but a bit risque, you know, or they live mm. in a particular place. They've got a very strong accent. Those are the things that absolutely stick in my mind. I mean, like your trademark glasses and, and the crazy cats behind you, if people can't see it on the podcast, it's really striking. It's memorable. Like everyone else I've, I interview just has a kind of blank background, exactly like I've got. I've somehow ended up choosing the most bland would be hipster background for this which is ridiculous so i fall into this chap as well but i rely on being just naturally quite eccentric for people to either love or hate what i do so uh, i think my wife is is repeatedly reminds me of this just to keep keep my feet on the ground so like that's a really nice message to leave out there i mean i'd like to just uh, wrap this episode up lovely things we'll, we'll talk in the next episode fairly briefly i guess about personalization and, and structuring things in a way that we, we've implied newsletters are not the answer and i want to dig into what is the answer but i know you've got a really handy lead magnet for how to boost open rates which is always really top of the agenda for any email marketer so that's mm-hmm. uh, i think is it flourishgrit.com forward slash open just tell us a little yes. bit about that yeah so it's the number one question i get from folks how do i boost my email open rates and so why not create a a great guide on how to do just that and so it really breaks down you know what is an open rate what you need to know on the back end and then how to come up with a strategy that makes sure your emails your email open rates stay high um, including a subject line formula that's pretty simple and easy to implement. So yeah, download that uh, guide and and you'll see results immediately. And uh, we were talking before the show, I think about the fact that digital marketing combines creativity and numbers. And that's kind of cool if you're nerdy enough to like that kind of mm-hmm. thing. I certainly do. And um, what I really love about subject lines, I always split test my emails to this. And, and it's always fascinating how different a couple mm-hmm. of words in, in the subject line makes so, so if you're as nerdy as I am, you're going to have a lot of fun with playing <laughs> with those subject lines that result from Emily's guide. So flourishgrit.com for slash open for that. And other than that, obviously, flourishgrit.com is where you hang out. And what sort of services do you offer people if they need help with their email marketing? So I have everything from DIY. I have courses and digital products. If you're looking for just some bite-sized pieces to implement on your own, I offer, you know, essentially some coaching services. So if you need somebody to uh, hold your hand while you do something, and then I offer, you know, the whole package. If you need somebody to just come in and and do it all for you, we do it. Excellent. And as I said before, I mean, obviously everyone's at a different stage of their budget and a different stage of sophistication with their comfort level with email marketing, but it's just so valuable. I mean, just the numbers in in little old amazing FBA, which is not the the best run business in a lot of ways, but and and the marketers that I know, I mean, there is such power in a well written email sequence, and getting an expert really does change the the, the details. I mean, I know from a friend of mine does uh, email marketing stuff, and not really his main thrust, so it's not really a big competition for you, but he's got involved with several serious businesses recently and the and the, the the difference is massive it's not subtle so i would just urge anyone who's considering it to at least check it out and, and consider if you're going to spend money on marketing this year whether email would be a smart place to do it because it generally statistically is just such great payoff right so mm-hmm. just a bit of a plug for the industry of email marketing in general we're going to get you back to talk about structuring things but for the moment emily thank you so much for coming on to share your wisdom with the the audience thank you Thanks so much for listening to the 10k collective podcast part of the family of amazing fba podcasts 
Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.